passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to Post Wrestling. It's John Pollock, and today we are joined by friend of the show, friend of the site, overall friend, uh, Damian Abraham. And Damian, it's always great to speak with you. Uh, unfortunately, it's not the happiest of circumstances with the passing earlier this week of Grant Berkland, who competed for years as Danny Havoc and someone that along the way you got to know uh, very well. But uh, first of all, Damian, welcome to the show, and thanks a lot for taking some time to uh, chat about Grant with us. Oh, thanks for having me, John. Yeah, he, uh, uh, you know, it, it actually hit me a lot harder than I, I kind of expected. Um, and I didn't know him particularly well um, outside of sort of the context of filming and sort of staying in touch through these incredibly verbose emails that he would write uh, afterwards. Um, but I, I do think that uh, he's someone that, you know, deserves a little bit of celebrating because he was a really special person. Now, prior to The Wrestlers, you did uh, another big feature on Tournament of Death from the June 2016 Tournament of Death. Would that have been the first time you met him? Yeah, and I think I just met him very briefly in passing backstage mm. at the actual TOD itself. Like, he, he wasn't really he, he did the one match on the in the first round. So, I mean, it wasn't like a year where he went to the finals or anything. So, And you were kind of featuring a lot of different people in, in that 45 minute piece yeah absolutely him and alex cologne uh, wrestled each other actually at that tod in the opening round and it was an incredible match that actually there's footage of in that documentary where they're having this this you know and, and it, it was really the inspiration i think that for a lot of the stuff with the wrestlers on being able to sell vice on this idea is that they had this match where they're smashing each other with light bulb tubes but it's almost beautiful to kind of like watch uh, unfold you know and it's something that i think most people when you describe it to them would be like, Oh, that's disgusting. That's grotesque. But then you, when you're watching the way um, they, they actually did the match, it was, it was, it was gorgeous, you know, and, and not to overstate it, but, um, and, you know, kind of showing that device. So I think that was a lot of the reason they, they signed off on doing the wrestlers. Um, but yeah, like I met him briefly backstage, but we were running around so much, you know, shooting with all the other people there that day um, that I didn't re really get an impression of him. Um, so, when it came time to do the wrestlers, you know, we're, we're talking about wrestling. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm telling the guys that were filming it, Nathan and Jeff, the showrunners of the show, um, you know, all about deathmatch stuff. And they're like, I think we really want to do a deathmatch episode. And at the time I was like, well, you know, we kind of did the TOD documentary. Like, you know, like what would you want to do that was different? They're like, we want to do whatever you want to do. So who are the dream people to get? And so, you know, and running down the names, I'm like, oh, Danny Havoc would be cool to get. And it was actually Nathan and Jeff that, you know, through digging into him and, and researching him, realized that this guy's like, you know, a true artist. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people have said, like, you know, they talk about his amazing graphic design work or they talk about how articulate he was. He was like, 
you know, and this is going to once again sound like I'm overstating it, but I really believe it. Like he's a genius on that sort of like great artist level of genius where if he was born in a different place, um, deathmatch wrestling wouldn't have been his medium. Like he would have found another medium to express himself and and probably would have had a, a different kind of impact on the world than he did have. It seems to me that, you know, when it, when it comes to like the deathmatch genre, there's going to be a, a lot of fans that it's just simply that they dismiss and it's not something that th- they want out of their professional wrestling. But it seems to me that Danny Havoc would have been that guy that could have explained it, that I think could have opened people's mind to maybe it's not the thing that they're seeking out in pro wrestling, but they can appreciate like the art side of things that uh, often doesn't get focused upon that seems to be a real constant coming out of you know his passing is just that this was someone that it was certainly um he viewed it as an art form and put a lot of thought into his work absolutely like well he he approached it like an artist would you know like he he didn't just look at it uh in terms of you know i'm a physical athlete in this ring doing a physical sport here's how i'm going to do it or he didn't even approach it as like i'm a wrestler Here's how I'm going to be, you know, here's how I'm going to be wrestling. He was, he was an artist, you know, like he would do these incredible, incredibly detailed illustrations. Like we have some of them in the wrestlers, but you don't really get a scope of how incredible this art was until you see it, you know, on mass. But for every one of his matches, he would like lay it out with these diagrams and, and invent these incredible weapons that he was going to, you know, use on himself and on his opponents in the course of a match. And he would, he draw this stuff out by hand, you know, and like really kind of put that extra level of thought into it. It's not like that scene in the movie, the wrestler, when they go to like the home Depot and they're just picking out stuff to hit each other in the head with, like he was putting a lot of thought into this stuff and, and the psychological side of things. And, you know, it's, it's, he was someone who approached it very much from that same sort of way that a lot of the Japanese deathmatch wrestlers also seem to approach it, which, you know, makes sense because that was who he was looking to, um, where it was, you know, like the psychology behind the pain and the violence. Did you ever uh, talk to him about kind of you're you're really documenting him in the wrestlers in the lead up to the end of his career? He's got his back is significantly messed up and he's looking to walk away. But did he ever speak of, you know, seeing his role in wrestling being beyond the ring or having uh, different ideas to kind of apply some of, you know, clearly someone that saw saw wrestling beyond just a base level, saw it from a much d- deeper perspective that was that something that he was seeking out uh, beyond just, you know, being a, a deathmatch wrestler. I think at that point he was just really burnt out, you know, like he was just kind of, you know, like just... Uh, you know, and I, I don't, I'm not talking smack about any company or talking shit on any company, but I think the grind of CZW and and what he was doing there just just warmed down, and I really think he just needed to step away from that, you know. And I think he was talking at the time, like it was right around the time he got married, um, he was going to leave this and he was going to focus on his marriage. He didn't know what he was going to do. Uh, he was talking about writing a book, which is, I think. You know, not that there's not already multiple tragedies happening here, but I think another great loss is that book never got completed mm. uh, because I think that would have been an amazing thing to read. Not just once again for, you know, deathmatch wrestling fans, not just even for wrestling fans. I think for just anyone that that was into the creative process, because uh, I would be fascinated to kind of get greater insight into his creative process. Like we talked a lot about that stuff and and, you know, other places he could kind of apply 
what he was doing, be it writing, doing videos and, and stuff like that, doing comic books even. Um, but yeah, like he just was kind of really burnt out on wrestling. And I think, you know, the rise of game changer wrestling, you, you can tell that that's what really lured him back into it. You know, like he obviously was still involved with Matt Tremont's H2O thing, but I think, you know, the possibility that game changer wrestling kind of had and offered and all his friends being there. I think that really, you know, I think rekindled the love of professional wrestling for him from, from the sounds of it. Yeah. And I mean, it's just shocking his age as well, that he had just turned 34. We're talking about like, he's kind of getting out of wrestling at 2017 and then just came back this, this year for uh, wrestled last year, I think a one-off and then did the shows in Japan this year, but this was someone extremely young. And that to me was just stunning. Like, you know, this was not an older guy, but that was like just turned 34 uh, a few days earlier. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, once again, not, there's not enough tragedies in the story, but his age is definitely, you know, um, it's, it's just, it's so sad. And I think it really tells you how extreme that side of professional wrestling is. Like we already talk about the burnout in pro wrestling coming in your late forties or your, you know, fifties where you're just, your body just can't do what it used to do, you know, maybe probably earlier than that, but in deathmatch wrestling, like it's, it's much, it's a much shorter window because what you're doing to yourself is that much more extreme in some cases. How was he when it came to you wanting to profile him and, you know, his openness to that and sitting down, getting uh, to speak with him? Was he a a fairly open book about the process? Was he at at all apprehensive at all in terms of, you know, putting a spotlight on himself? Uh, He was really open. Um, And I think he was just at a point where he was kind of looking at this as being the end of his career. And I think he was just really excited to kind of get to talk about, you know, what he did in, in sort of different terms, um, you know, than he had before, you know, talking about it in terms of the creative process. And I, I think all credit to Nathan and Jeff, uh, once again, on the wrestlers for this, but they, they really wanted to kind of give all the guys, especially in the deathmatch ep- episode, the opportunity to kind of like explain like what, what is the appeal of this? Like, why are you doing this? And he is someone who being as articulate as he was being as smart as he was, um, like almost intimidatingly so, but he was just so not intimidating that it didn't, you know, really come off that way. But, you know, he just, you know, sat down and just loved kind of like talking with us. Like, I think we, we talked with him for a good, I don't know, four hours the day after his last match, um, at the CZW dojo. And just, you know, he just was, yeah, incredibly open, you know, incredibly beat up. Um, it was yeah, there's a lot of stuff in that episode. You know, I think we talked about it even when we did the wrap up episode that unfortunately, because we were profiling so many people once again, like that didn't make it in there. Um, but I think just the way he cared about other wrestlers, like he, as open as he was, like his big concern was Alex Cologne, who who actually nearly died the night before um, he in that final move where he puts him through that two sheets of uh, glass with all the light bulb tubes in the middle, it actually cut off the top of Alex's head and he actually nearly bled out in the hospital uh, that night. So Danny was, you know, as open as he was and as, as, you know, forthcoming as he was during that interview, he was also, you know, really worried, really concerned about Alex and, you know, who's one of his really close friends. And he described him as such too, right? Like that's, you know, one of his best buddies. So, you know, like he, he really, 
he really cared about people too, which, you know, in a, in a very genuine, not just because they're coworkers kind of way, like a really, really compassionate kind of way too. Well, it's great that scene you had in there where it's the, the night of the retirement match and they have the, the speech in the locker room. Sammy Callahan is, is there kind of giving the speech and like, you really get the sense in that locker room, like Danny Havoc is the leader. Like he is the guy that at that point for 12 years has been a constant with this company. And they very much viewed him as this, this legend of this company. Yeah, no, absolutely. And he, 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 well, he was that, you know, that kind of like moral compass, um, in a way too. Like he, he, he was just a genuine human being and, you know, that locker room had, uh, you know, has had a lot of interesting characters kind of come and go and not to diminish like, you know, the intelligence or the work of, of anyone that was in that room. But he just was like that kind of special person that if he was in any room, he would be that special person, like not just a wrestling locker room. You put him in any room and he would be kind of a person that people turn to as being this, you know, thing that they could look to for support or look up to and make them feel welcome. You know, like, I think that's the thing that's really come out from all these, you know, these stories and anecdotes from, from, you know, wrestling peers of his is like, what a important person he was to, to making them feel welcome and accepted. What was it like for you just to see the, the level of, you know, tributes that came out in the following 24 hours? I mean, so widespread of people that you know you could see were were deeply impacted by this, from John Moxley to I mean, geez, you could have just run the gamut of people that worked with him. You know, like your Matt Tremonts, but also like right across the industry, this was one that I mean, universally a guy that was respected and echoed a lot of what you've laid out here. Yeah, like I think you can really tell the measure of a person um, in in the tributes that come out about them after they're gone. You know, and, and when people feel safe to really say how they feel. And the thing that struck me is the universality of these tributes that were coming out about him. All of them mentioned how nice he was and kind he was. All of them mentioned how articulate he was. All of them talked about these really verbose emails that he would send. And they are like like paragraphs, thousands and thousands of words. Um, and, uh, you know, like I think that, you know, and also talks about what an amazing artist he was and an amazing wrestler, too. Like, I think that's. The other thing is like he really brought something special to to the style of wrestling he chose. Um, yeah, like I think that's the thing that really struck me is like, you know, you read someone like Kevin Owens and then you read, you know, a friend of his like Drew Gulak, who he was very close with, um, you know, but then you also just read like, you know, random deathmatch wrestlers, random deathmatch legends, you know, people pouring in tributes from Japan. Like it really feels like he, uh, you know, had that connection with people around the world. And uh, as well in um, the, the the episode of the the wrestlers, of course, June Kasai is very much focused on in that episode as well, and that that's really his his springboard to realizing I can do this by him watching June Kasai and saying, "Hey, this is happening." You know, June Kasai was over here in America at the time and leading him to go to Philadelphia, and then from there, I mean, he's starting with CZW at age eighteen in two thousand five. Yeah, no, he was, I think that was the thing he was most happy about with the wrestlers episode was the fact that we were also featuring uh, Jun Kasai in the same episode. And he was, he was just really excited that that story was going to be told and that inspiration was kind of going to be laid out there. And, uh, yeah, like I, you know, to be honest, I haven't, uh, you know, I follow Jun on, on 
social media, but with everything that's happening right now, I haven't checked in to see if he put up any tributes yet. But um, I would imagine there was that kind of mutual respect. Like I think talking to Jun Kasai about like, you know, who else we were featuring, obviously Onita and I think Jun Kasai have a little more complex of a relationship, but I think with, with, with Danny Havoc, it was very cut and dry. He was very excited and very happy to hear that we were going to feature him and wanted us to say hi to him when we were going to see him again and, and things like that. So I think it was a mutual respect. So, did he t- talk to you a bit about what it meant for him to be able to go over there for Japan, for, for Big Japan? Because uh, I'd just be curious if that was kind of like one of those bucket list items for him and that uh, ca- carried weight for him going going over there. Yeah, absolutely. I think he, you know, I think, I don't know if he even made it into the cut, but he definitely talked about how he put almost Japanese deathmatch wrestling on a bit of a pedestal. And the idea of going over there and, and being in these arenas and wrestling with these people like you know, it was, it was an amazing experience. And we had gone to Japan once to film. Um, but we were going to go again after we filmed with him and, and talking to him about it in the lead up to going, he was just, you know, beside himself, like, Oh, you're going to, it's such amazing. Like, I want to go back so badly. Like, I, I really think that's a lot of the reason, uh, you know, he was drawn back to the ring is, is the idea of going back to Japan and, and, going there and you look at the pictures of him on that last gcw tour which people have been sharing yeah. uh, on social media it just like you can tell the joy in his face you know and uh, in, in every single one of those photos yeah and i mean you know just getting to to wrestle at like core q and hall with what one of his mm-hmm. last matches i mean that was you know uh, i'm sure meant, meant a lot to him as well um you know it's a really tra- tragic story, not just his passing, but his wife's passing of two months earlier, uh, which was something I was not aware of. And that to me was just, I mean, it, it's a tragic story and I think just compounds, you know, what, what he was living with these past two months. Yeah. I, after she passed away, there was a GoFundMe set up um, that he was completely unaware of. I think, you know, that the on the post-wrestling um, mail out that you did it, you make or, or sorry the update that you did yeah. you made reference to the or you actually put in the whole post that he wrote about it and he was completely unaware of this GoFundMe until it was already kind of like had taken off and I remember seeing that when it came out and sharing that and and just um, you know, like I mean the GoFundMe when it came out and just thinking oh my gosh I can't begin to think about how this is going to hurt him like you know and obviously the loss of anyone's partner is going to hurt them um on 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 an immense level but just the love he had for this woman and the way he talked about her when we were filming because it was it was the lead up to their wedding you know so and he was talking about how this was going to be the new chapter of his life and and that did not diminish you know i think that's the thing you know i didn't even see the statement he put up until i read your update the other day and that just tore my heart out um just because I could just hear him saying that, you know, and, and just feel that pain because um, he loved her so much. Yeah. And, the, and for those that aren't uh, familiar, um, his wife, Brianne, died April 4th. And it just sounds like it, it was just a heart issue that came out of nowhere. This wasn't something where she had been sick. It just seems like came out of nowhere. It's um, you, you don't recover from something like that. That's, you know, a a tragedy that it's uh, unimaginable. So uh, he was obviously, you know, dealing with a lot in these final months. Yeah. I think that's, that's the thing that's become abundantly clear is that he was, you know, how do you, how do you recover from that? And I think, you know, wrestling is 
definitely an industry like any entertainment industry where, uh, you know, um, fidelity is, is something that people view differently and, and relationships don't always go forever, but this was something very different. Like this is, you know, and once again, I never really met her or anything like that, but just from talking to him, you knew that, you know, you could feel that. And so, yeah, I, I, you don't, you don't recover from that, as you said. Is there one particular conversation with him or, or some um, moment with him that is going to stick with you for, for a while <laughs> that, you know, you kind of, yeah. as soon as you think of Grant Berkland is going to come to mind? Yeah, it was the night of the uh, last show. <laughs> he's laying out all these, these amazing diagrams that he's done for all these contraptions that he's going to unleash in the ring on poor Alex Cologne. And, and he's showing us through and he's taking us through these plans and then he's taking us through the reality. And so one thing that they had planned is he's like, I want to get a cactus, you know, like a giant sequoia. And I wanted to have it in the, in the middle of the ring, you know, cause I thought like, no one's done this, this would be amazing. And so they order this cactus and it shows up and it's a total spinal tap moment where he, he gets it out of the truck and it's no bigger than like a foot. <laughs> And it's just something that they ultimately did use in the match, but certainly was not what he had planned. And then he also had, you know, all these contraptions with glass designed, you know, and and then it was just like what happened to this glass. First, it was, oh, all the glass broke. And then it was like, oh, UPS failed to deliver the glass. And then it was, oh, blah, blah, blah. blah. So it got to the point where the guy who literally builds all the contraptions at at CZW went to his house and now he works at GCW went to his house and took his storm doors off the house mm-hmm. and brought him back. So they could make at least one of the contraptions Danny had envisioned for his last match. Um, but just like his sense of humor about this thing that he had, he had worked on for months, you know, and envisioned in his mind. And here he was watching it kind of like spiral out of, you know, out of his plans, but just the sense of humor he kept about the whole thing and just how, how just, you know, funny he was throughout this disaster and still was able to go out there and, and perform to the best of his ability and put on this match that, you know, all his fans that traveled from everywhere were just, you know, so, so grateful to get to, you know, experience. It, it really has um, made me think about, you know, this guy just had such a creative approach to, you know, his, his work that, in this era where we're seeing all of these different like cinematic matches, you have companies like a DDT that it just seems on paper that he would be such a natural fit to come in and just take something, you know, like we remember with, with the WWF with like their hardcore division that, you know, you had seen every hardcore match. It had pretty much become a pattern thing. And then you'd take someone like a Raven who would come in and at least try to change it up to make it, you know, add some creativity to it. I just, I just wonder how much he had really any interest in doing anything beyond what he did do in the industry. Like it seemed he was very much content on like, this is my area of the industry that I thrive in. And I'd be curious, like, did he really have that kind of desire to do anything outside like with, you know, a larger company, whether it be in a creative capacity, in a merchandising capacity, because it seemed that um, even if physically he was uh, wearing his body down, there were other avenues for him in this industry. Yeah, like there were a lot of wrestlers that we talked to in the lead up to that episode where we were like, you know, we're, we want to do an episode about deathmatch wrestling. And they'd be like, well, 
I've done death matches, but I don't describe myself as a death match wrestler. I'm a wrestler. And Danny very much was like, I'm a death match wrestler. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I do. Uh, that being said, I, I really believe that he would be one of those guys that, you know, one of those rare lights that you put into a lock, a writing room at, at a place like the WWE. He would have found his place, you know, and he's that kind of likable and genuine, earnestly likable that I think he would have been able to survive and, and bring some really creative ideas to even a place like that, you know, cause he just had that way of looking at things, you know, and, and he just had that sort of sense of the world and, and that approachability and just, yeah, it, 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 it's all, I keep saying it over and over again, but it's just a genuineness that you don't experience in anywhere in entertainment, you know, like on any level, like punk rock world, like wrestling world, like anywhere, like even, you know, cannabis celebrity world that I've been in, you don't experience this kind of like level of just humbleness. Yeah. It's uh, a really sad story. Um, yeah, you, you were the one that alerted me to this on Sunday night, and I know that this has been a, a trying couple of days for you. So I I really appreciate you coming on here, Damien, and just uh, sharing some of your, your memories of him getting to sit down. I wonder, uh, does that four-hour four, in, four hour interview exist? Yeah, I was I, – you know what's funny? I would love to find all that footage because I think there's just so much stuff that should be out there You know, from spending time with him. Um, in the lead up to the match, after the match, and and there's like you could do a whole cut just mm-hmm. about his last match of that show, and then we actually ran into him again when we went back to film the Cage of Death. I think it's out of sequence when you watch the show, but the Cage of Death was actually after his retirement match, and he was backstage at that show, and we hung out with him and talked to him about sort of life after wrestling and how much he missed it, you know, and then by that point he was already missing it. And, and how many months after would that have been approximately? Like three, yeah. four, wow. you wow. know. He, 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 his body was feeling a lot better, he was saying, but just mentally how much he, he craved being back in that locker room and kind of experienced things. And so that, I guess it's, you know, no wonder that he wound up back doing stuff with H2O and then ultimately back doing stuff with GCW. But I think, you know, the amount of stuff that he did shows how much of a wear and tear on his body that first real run it had on him. Do you remember the, your last conversation with him, last email? Well, actually, yeah. Um, our last email was after the wrestlers came out and we're just writing back and forth, um, about it. And, uh, yeah. And I, and, and just, just, you know, just talking about how, how happy he was that the way it turned out. And like, it, it feels like fucked up saying that. So I don't, but it, he was just, uh, he just was really happy that we had gotten to meet and do that thing together. And so, yeah, that's a, a real cherished memory. You know, I'm going to never forget that. And I, I also strongly recommend checking out Alex Cologne's uh, Twitter because he's going to be putting up a T-shirt uh, armband combo pack thing. And all the proceeds are going to go to Danny's cremation and funeral services. And oh, stuff. That, that's wonderful. Um, Damien, thanks so much. And I mean, I, I think it's really great, too, that you were able to document this guy on on your series and for a lot of people that's going to be their window to learn about danny havoc and just see you know a, a little bit into who this guy was and to see so, some of his work i mean that's the power that you know you have with a series like that to put a spotlight on someone that you know many people are le- might be learning about this week in the most tragic of circumstances and others that um did follow his career and it got to be uh, featured uh, in a spotlight like the one that you're able to provide. 
I, I feel lucky every day that I got to do that show because I got to meet these people and got to kind of like, you know, because I, I watched Danny Havoc wrestle and, uh, you know, I'd even been around him backstage doing that first deathmatch documentary. But if it wasn't for really, once again, Nathan and Jeff being like, we got to do a deathmatch episode and, you know, thus meeting Danny Havoc, getting to know this guy, I wouldn't have gotten to, to see this other side of him. You know, probably till this week and reading all these other tributes that came out about him. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very lucky that I got to do it and I, I appreciate that every day. 